Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics, coming up. Canadians and their political leaders continue to closely follow the results of the American election. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. If you count the votes that came in late, we're looking at them very strongly, but a lot of votes came in late. The Prime Minister speaks with the French President after criticism over his response to recent attacks in France. And now he is trying to rebuild some bridges with France, which is absolutely necessary. My fear is that Mr. Macron is not naive and he knows very well that this conversation might not be so sincere. And a record deficit in the first Ontario budget since the pandemic began. It's a comprehensive and thoughtful plan to chart our path forward as a province. It's a $45 billion plan that will protect our healthcare system, support people and communities and businesses, and lay the foundation to recover our economy. It's Friday, November the 6th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Althea, thank you for being with us. Good morning, Mark. Everyone continues to watch the election results in the United States. As we speak at the moment, things are still not determined, but it looks like it is heading in Joe Biden's direction, which is the way it's looked for a couple of days now. Uh, but it's getting closer and closer. And I know a lot of Canadians are watching this, including Canadian politicians. And there is a lot of uh, there's still much, much more to come because there will be legal challenges of the results, of course. Uh, so it, it might be up in the air for a while. Uh, but we we do appear to be heading towards a situation where Joe Biden is declared the president-elect of the United States. And uh, what do you think that means in particular for Canada? Uh, well, several things. If uh, Joe Biden, as you uh, say, it, it will likely win the presidency. Um, the first thing is that um, <laughs> for those who use news as entertainment, it will be a lot more boring uh, with Joe Biden. He's a normal uh quote-unquote politician and so um it things will go back to um the way they were pre-trump if we can even can you remember that i mean we won't be checking twitter all the time um the yeah what's cnn gonna do right yeah the prime minister actually has a, a good relationship uh with joe biden you'll probably remember that before trump was sworn in in 2000 17 um in december of 2016 there was a state dinner that the prime minister held for the vice president and uh the two men clearly have um a warm relationship the prime minister and joe biden spoke about um his relationship with pierre elliott trudeau um Joe Biden talked about Justin Trudeau as being, you know, the one who had to pick up Obama's mantle and be this uh, progressive liberal on the world stage. And I think Mr. Trudeau is going to look uh, to, pres- to a President Biden to help him cement a legacy that back in December 2016 he wanted to have, um, you know, the election campaign that the Liberals ran in 2015, for the exception of a few things, uh, you know, uh, child benefits, 
um, a more progressive tax system. A lot of the things that Justin Trudeau set out to do, he hasn't been able to do. The government was so consumed in the first mandate with getting a new NAFTA renegotiated and its relationship with the United States that it kind of put everything on hold. And then, of course, since 2019, it's been kind of one crisis over after another, whether it was the rail blockades and then, of course, covid so um, there are there are things that the two men can uh, absolutely work on. I think about strengthening multilateral organization. I think about the two trillion dollar uh, climate change plan um, that the vice president has have based ran on. Of course, the relationship will come with challenges. I'm sure you've discussed this all week. Um, yeah, because they don't Biden agree on everything, it, right? And the no, key, I mean, Keystone Biden has pipeline. Anyone to get rid of Keystone. Yeah. Yes, and the government has already spoken to James Rajat, the conservative MP, who's now um, Jason Kenney's man in Washington. Um, of course, by American provisions are a big threat. The Democrats tend to be even more protectionist than the Republicans. Uh, maybe, well, they may be tied with Trump on that front, but. Um, Typically, the Democrats are, are, are more protectionist. Uh, that's not something that the liberals haven't worked on before. There are, I should say the Canadian government hasn't worked on before. I mean, Barack Obama also introduced by American provisions. There are trade irritants, but most people think will continue to remain trade irritants, things like softwood lumber. But, you know, most likely uh, the government would expect uh, a Biden administration to name another panelist to the World Trade Organization, which means that some of our trade disputes uh, might get settled. So there are definitely plus and minuses on the whole, overwhelmingly pluses uh, with a Joe Biden presidency. So that is something that the liberals will look forward to. Also, the fact that the relationships have already been built. Uh, Joe Biden, I should mention this, his campaign director, General Malley Dillon, actually worked as a consultant on the Liberals' 2015 election campaign. He even spoke at their party convention in 2014. So they're not going to be starting from scratch when it comes to building relationships with the Democrats. Yeah. And I I expect, and very quickly before we move on to other topics, I expect Mm -hmm. that what we'll see is when there are disputes that they'll be worked out in the the traditional way with phone calls between the administrations and and that sort of thing, rather than playing out in a highly public, uh, uh, theatrical manner, right? So that, Yeah, that's, on that's Twitter or on the Sunday morning talk shows, yeah. when your store gets to tell you that you should burn in hell, yeah, <laughs> it will be a return to normalcy. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of relations with other countries, uh, the Prime Minister had a conversation with French President Emmanuel Macron, and mm-hmm. uh, this in part uh, arose from some comments that were made by the Prime Minister uh, related to uh, a violent extremist act that happened in France and, and how he responded to it. This this ties back to an issue that has been prevalent in France, which is the publishing of certain kinds of cartoons and, and, uh, and the whole issue of freedom of speech. Um, so uh, what's your sense of, of uh, what precipitated that call and, and how it went? Yeah, so the long story is it all comes back to, goes back to October 16th, uh, when this French teacher, Samuel Patry, showed his classroom in discussing freedom of expression, the cartoons that had been um, the source of the attacks at the Chalabdou um, attacks. So um, it's, these are, I'm sure many of the listeners have already seen these, um, they're uh, caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad. And in response, uh, he was beheaded, and 
obviously this gruesome attack uh, garnered attention around the world. And um, strangely, there was basically no response from the Kane government. The prime minister did not issue uh, a tweet condemning the attacks. Um, basically, nothing was public really, really said. And the Black Québécois, um, among mostly in the House, started talking about this. And last Friday, um, after the attacks in Nice, because there have been other uh, extremist attacks in France since then, um, the reporters asked the Prime Minister what he, he thought. And much like the other controversy that we've spoken about, the uh, controversy at the University of Ottawa over the use of the N-word, the Prime Minister took a very, um, you know, on one hand, on the other hand, uh, response. He said that there were, you know, it was, it was uh, a horrendous attack, and um, but freedom of expression doesn't have limits. And reporters left that uh, kind of uh, puzzled by the fact that it wasn't a very strong condemnation of what had happened. And in Quebec City, Premier Legault um, responded by saying that he felt that the Prime Minister had, that Prime Minister Trudeau had not um, should not have basically added an asterisk to his defense for freedom of expression, and he was very strong on this. And over the weekend, President Macron called Premier Legault to thank him for his comments. And then, of course, uh, you know as relationships between uh, Canada and France and Quebec <laughs> tend to be viewed, it seemed like a slight that Mr. Macron, President Macron had um, basically, uh, you know, shown the back of his hand to the Prime Minister because of, of his comments. And perhaps Mr. Trudeau took the weekend to reflect on what he said and the way in which he said it and perhaps realized that um, well, maybe the two, you know, the, the N-word controversy and the beheading are not quite the same thing. And uh, on Monday, he uh, he clarified his remarks and he took a much stronger stance. And right. uh, he said he was going to talk to President Macron. And apparently the French president kept him uh, maybe hanging for a few days because the prime minister finally got to call the French president on Thursday. And uh, it would have been very interesting to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. Um, the readout that we got in the evening from the prime minister's office, uh, very, basically Mark has like no detail. It says right. that uh, the prime minister expressed his solidarity with the people of France following the recent terrorist attacks and the violence. And both leaders agreed on defending freedom of expression and human rights and mm. a shared commitment to fighting terrorism and violent extremism. All right. We're almost out of time. We only have uh, about 30 seconds left or so. But um, okay. on the Ontario budget, uh, I think yeah. the, the main headline there is another example of a Canadian government, uh, a government in Canada going into deficit in a big way uh, and spending a lot of money during this pandemic, a conservative government in this case. Yeah, and I would say uh, probably the lesson for federal politics is it seems that the Ontario government is, even though in the middle of a pandemic where they're responsible for health care, uh, still able to table a budget. And of course, you know, we haven't had a budget since before the last election. How crazy is that? Um, we expect a fiscal update at the end of this month, but we were told that it is not going to look like a budget. And of course, Ontario was able to table a budget eight months later than expected, but better late than ever. All right. Great stuff, Althea. Thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Mark. Enjoy the sunshine. 
That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief. If you count the legal votes, I easily win. If you count the illegal votes, they can try to steal the election from us. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Ottawa Citizen, Andrew McDougall argues Justin Trudeau can no longer use Donald Trump as a political bogeyman. McDougall writes, The likely loss of Donald Trump from the Oval Office is a popular outcome in Canada, but Justin Trudeau is mourning the loss of an ally. Not an ally in the conventional sense, but no one benefited more politically from Trump than Trudeau. He will be robbed of his favorite bogeyman, one he's deployed successfully against domestic political rivals such as Doug Ford. The specter of Trumpism has been robbed of its talisman, and Trudeau is the poorer for it. At Policy Options, Christopher Sands argues that despite a polarizing U.S. election, there are signs of political consensus. Sands writes, The good news is that there are signs of bipartisan consensus in Washington on several policy issues. And during the next few years, we can expect shifts in U.S. politics as millennials take over from the baby boomers as the dominant cohort in the electorate. Canadians should begin now to develop a strategy for the next four years to manage current conflicts while laying the foundation for a renewed relationship with a new generation of American leaders. In the National Post, Marnie Supkoff argues, In the fight against COVID, Canadian health officials have been at the back of the pack. Supkoff writes, This week, the Public Health Agency of Canada discreetly updated its COVID-19 guidelines on aerosol transmission. It's a reminder of the way Canada has trailed the rest of the world. Learning as you go is inevitable, but it must happen at the same pace as the science, not as an afterthought once the conclusion has become so obvious as to be impossible to ignore any longer. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will speak with the media, along with Innovation Minister Navdeep Baines and Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic Leblanc. National Revenue Minister Diane Le Boutelier will attend a virtual announcement about funding for green pilot projects in Quebec. And Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference to speak about regional air transport. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, November the 6th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC for coverage of all the week's events. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.